We're going to look at the book of Daniel together tonight. The book of Daniel. Our scripture passage is specifically Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2, verses 20 and 21, or 21 and 22. Daniel 2, we'll do 20, how about we do 20, 21, and 22, that way we'll cover it all. Daniel 2, 20, 21, and 22, and verse 21a really captures, I think, the essence of the message of Daniel. We'll read all these three verses. Hear God's word, beginning at verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Read again verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. God's word for his people tonight. Let's pray together. Our great and awesome God, you are the one who changes times and seasons. You are the one who sets up kings and deposes them. You are sovereign over all. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word tonight. And we pray that you would sovereignly bless us now by your spirit, through your grace, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Dear friends, when push comes to shove, who has authority in your life? That is say, (laughs) oh no, Carl. (laughs) Shouldn't have done that, Carl. You threw us both off, buddy. Say the government, the government encroaches on your faith asks you to do something that is unlawful in God's sight. Whose authority do you acknowledge? Or what about when culture or society at large or friends encroach on your faith and they ask you to think or act in a certain way that goes against the Lord and His Word? Whose authority do you acknowledge? Or what about when your own heart maybe encroaches on your faith and it asks you, it tempts you, To do something that is unlawful in God's sight. Whose authority do you acknowledge? It's a question we face often, isn't it? To to whom shall I listen? We might not put it that frankly, that obviously, but it's, it's there all the time in almost every decision we have. To whom shall I listen? To whom shall I serve? To whom will I answer? Of course, the book of Daniel makes it clear. The ultimate authority is God. And any who challenge his authority are simply posers who will eventually be exposed as such by none other than the Lord himself. The uh, historical setting for the book of Daniel is seen right in the first seven verses of the book. Daniel 1, 1 through 7. This is what we read there. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Misahel, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Those are, of course, the most famous characters in the book of Daniel. But when does this all take place? Well, well Daniel and his friends were, were among the earliest exiles to Babylon. You, you might remember from a few weeks ago when we looked at the book of Ezekiel that Judah wasn't conquered all at once. Her people weren't hauled off into exile all at once, but this, this took place, this exile and this fall of Jerusalem and Judah took place over a span of nearly 20 years, from 605 B.C. until 586 B.C. And the exile, too, took place over this span. It happened in waves over this nearly 20-year span. And Daniel is among the earliest to be exiled out of Judah. Ezekiel was exiled in 597. Daniel was exiled even earlier than that. He's taken, he's taken out of Judah. He's brought to Babylon. Why? For the express purpose of serving in the king's palace. How would you like that arrangement? Uh, you're called to serve the very people who take you from your home. I guess that's a little bit like slavery in America uh, in the 1700s. But that's, that's what Daniel was called to do. Now, in a situation like this, one might be tempted to think that, uh, you know, God, God, are you in control? God, do you have a plan? Do you have a grip on the situation? Uh, but what Daniel and his friends learn and what we learn through this book is that God very much is in control. He very much does have the authority through all of this. He, he, he is the one who deposes kings and raises up others. The book of Daniel can be broken up into two parts, uh, distinct parts. The first part is chapters 1 through 6, and here we have the narrative portion of Daniel. This is where we read the stories. Narrative is simply a word for a story, I guess, if you want to, that's what I mean by that. But this is where we read the stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, being thrown into the, into the fiery furnace. That's in chapter 3. And this is where we read about Nebuchadnezzar being humbled by God. Remember, he stands on the roof of his palace and he says, look at this kingdom I've built. It's a, it's, it's, it brings glory to me. And no sooner does he say this and he's like driven crazy and he's driven from his place and he's like eating in the, in the hay fields with the cows, for real. It'd be like, you know, who has cows in their field? I think of Dave DeCam. He's got those cows out in the pasture. It'd be like Nebuchadnezzar eating out among Dave DeCam's cows out there or something. Others of you have cows as well. Gord, I guess you have cows right up here too if I think about it. So it'd be like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, out on the hill over here eating uh, with, with the cows. But that's what happens to him. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, that's chapter four. Read it for yourself. 
Um, this is the section where we read about that hand that kind of appears out of nowhere and it, it writes on the wall in front of, of King Belshazzar, Mene, Mene, Tekoparsin, which says, <laughs> I can imagine this hand writing this on the wall, just appearing, <laughs> which says to the king, you've been, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. That's near the end of chapter 5. Right? And then in chapter 6, we read, we read about uh, Daniel and the lion's den. So chapters 1 through 6, they make up the narrative section of Daniel. And there might be, there might be no more fascinating six chapters in all of the Bible, uh, if you think about it. This is the part of Daniel that's very easy to read. And all of it points to the truth that God is in control. Fiery furnaces, lions, kings, none of them are any match for the Lord. Chapter 7 through 12 then, is the second section, it makes up what are called Daniel's visions. And here the genre, it's not, it's not narrative, it's apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic. In fact, much of what's said here in this section finds echo in the book of Revelation with the numbers that are used and the imagery that's employed and all that. But in this section, what is, what is ultimately happening is that Daniel is, is, is looking ahead. He's, 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 he's looking ahead and he's, he's seeing God assert his authority over the kingdoms of this world. He's seeing God set up kings and depose them one after another, kingdom after kingdom. Then the book ends with a reference to the resurrection. This is, this is the last verse of the book. As for you, go your way till the end, you will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. That's, that's, that's the very last verse of the book of Daniel. And he, he exhibits great faithfulness to God amidst the pressures of the world, that he sees visions which describe the rise and fall of various kingdoms, and then we're told he rests until the resurrection. Now, what are some of the main themes of Daniel? Well, one of them, no doubt, is God's absolute sovereignty over kings and kingdoms. Okay, that again is what's seen uh, in our text, he sets up kings and deposes them. We see that over and over again throughout the book. Nebuchadnezzar being driven mad and eating in the fields with cows is an illustration of this truth that God sets up kings and deposes them. The hand that's writing on the wall and says, you've been found on the scales and are wanting is an illustration of this truth that God is the one who sets up kings and deposes them. And these, these four beasts that Daniel sees in his vision who represent four kingdoms that come and go all serve this truth that God sets up kings and deposes them. He is sovereign over the kings and the kingdoms of the world. And you can see maybe how how persecuted Christians throughout the ages have found great encouragement in the book of Daniel. Because it seems sometime in our world, doesn't it, that, that, that wicked rulers and wicked nations, they're the ones that have the last word. Wicked kings and wicked nations, they're the ones who determine the outcome of history. We're tempted to believe that sometimes. We have it so good here in America. We don't face persecution and pressure. But other people, you know, they, they, they do in Africa and in the Middle East and in China. They, they face that pressure and they're tempted to think, Lord, are these people sovereign? Are these people in control? Are these people going to win? And the book of Daniel says, no. History is in the hands of God. His authority will not be subverted. 
Kings and nations who oppose him will only do so for a time and season, and even then will only bring his eternal purposes to pass in the process. So the first theme is God's absolute sovereignty over kings and kingdoms. A second theme is God's protection of the faithful. God's protection of the faithful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I cannot, every time I say those names, I think of the VeggieTale episode. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, Larry, Larry the cucumber and Bob the tomato and this, this calf. It's a chocolate bunny, I think. It's just crazy. Something like that. I don't remember, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, uh, they, they, they faithfully refused to bend the knee to the image of gold. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is furious with them for it, and he, and he orders, he's so furious that he, that he orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. He's going to throw it in, he's going to throw them in it, and certainly it was hot enough already, but he's so mad, he says, heat that thing up seven times hotter than normal. And then he has the three men tied up by, we're told, the strongest men in his army, as if the guys are fighting back, and he has them thrown into the blazing furnace. And this is what we read, starting at chapter 3, verse 21. So these men, referring to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire. I think that's so hilarious, right? Right? There was three I threw. I mean, these guys are walking around in the fire. And he's like, there's four of them. He doesn't even know which, what, what he should hold on to there. But, but he says, I see, I see four guys walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them, you think? They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Listen, I light my grill and I singe half of the hair on my head, right? Nor was a hair on their head singed, their robes were not scorched, there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. He's speaking about his own command. And were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. The king praises them for their obedience. He praises them for their disobedience because he sees that they were, that they were right. <laughs> they were right. God vindicated them. He protects the faithful. Of course, we see it also in the story of Daniel, don't we? He's made an administrator of King Darius' kingdom. He so distinguishes himself in that role of administrator that some of his peers begin looking for a way to bring him down. 
They know the only way it will happen is if there is a law against his God. And so they, they go to Darius and they say, oh, King Darius, live forever. You know, and they're just blowing smoke. All of us have agreed that you should issue an edict and a decree that anyone who prays to any God or man other than you, O king, should be thrown into the lion's den. Well, Darius, he thinks that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, people should be, people should be praying to me. You guys are very smart. So he signs the edict. But Daniel isn't deterred, is he? He doesn't doesn't miss a beat. He continues going home and praying to his God as he always had. The troublemakers know this. They rat him out. The king is reluctant, but he's not going to go against his own order. He gives orders to have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And this is what we read, chapter 6, verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, Live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. God, once again, protects the faithful. David Brainerd was a missionary to the American Indians in mid-1700s. On one occasion, while he was attempting to bring the gospel to Indians near the the forks of Delaware, he was being followed by warriors who intended to kill him. This is what his biographer writes, but when the braves drew closer to Brainerd's tent, they saw the pale face, that was their word for him, they saw the pale face on his knees. And as he prayed, suddenly a rattlesnake slipped to his side, lifting up its ugly head to strike, flicked its forked tongue almost in his face, and then, without any apparent reason, glided swiftly away into the brushwood. The great spirit is with Paleface, the Indian said, and rather than killing him, they accorded him a prophet's welcome. God protects the faithful. His eyes are on the righteous. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, the psalmist says, truly, Truly, not a hair falls from the believer's head apart from God's will. He protects the faithful. A third theme is God's final victory over evil. If you read Daniel and especially the visions in the last chapters, you're going to catch glimpses or hear glimpses maybe of a powerful figure who's going to rise up and who's going to speak boastfully and who's going to exalt himself, and who's going to try to put himself in the Lord's place. Many scholars see, this, uh, see these references as references to the person the New Testament calls the Antichrist, or the man of lawlessness, this person of, of intense satanic hatred, who will appear in the last days um, before Christ's return and persecute the people of God. But even in Daniel, it's clear that this person, Frightening and terrible and arrogant and proud as he may be, he will not win. 
No, Daniel 11.45 says, even he will come to his end. And Daniel 12.13 makes clear that the saints will receive their allotted inheritance. Okay, Daniel makes the same point as Revelation. That there will be opposition to God's kingdom. There will be those who vie for God's authority. But in the end, God wins. And God's people triumph. How do we see Christ in Daniel? Let me give you a few ways. No doubt we see him in the famous stories we've already mentioned about the fiery furnace and the lion's den. Think about what happens in those stories. In both cases, God's servants are sent to their death because of righteousness. They are sent to death because of their obedience to God. Yet in both cases, both cases, what does God do? He delivers them from death. He delivers them from death, and and by so doing, he vindicates them before the eyes of others. He makes it clear that these men are in the right, that those who oppose them are in the wrong, that their God is the true God. He delivers them from death. And in this, both of these instances, we see, we see a shadow and we see a type and we see a preview of what would happen to our Lord Jesus. He too would be sent to his death because of righteousness, wouldn't he? He would be sent to his death because of obedience and faithfulness to God and because of his refusal to capitulate to the world. And just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace and Daniel in the lion's den, just as, just as they would be delivered, so would the Lord Jesus be delivered from death. And vindicated in the sight of all. Of course, the difference, you know the difference, right? The difference is that Jesus was delivered from death after he died. The other men were delivered before they died. That's the difference. That's the, that's the exclamation point of this story that we see in Jesus Christ. But all were delivered. All were, all were delivered from death. And vindicated by God in their deliverance. Another place we clearly see Christ is in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Here Daniel has just dreamed about these four beasts, which represent four kingdoms. And then he says this, starting at verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Daniel sees these four beasts who represent four kingdoms. And then after this he sees one like the Son of Man. Who represents a different sort of kingdom. Who represents an eternal kingdom. An abiding kingdom who is himself vested with power and authority. This is no doubt a clear reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the abiding and eternal kingdom that he would bring through his death and resurrection, a kingdom in which the writer of Hebrews tells us that unlike the kingdoms of this world, it will never be shaken. One more way we see Christ in Daniel. It's more of a broad way. Just simply if we focus on this theme of authority, once again, God in Daniel is the one who possesses ultimate supreme authority. He changes the times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He shuts the mouth of lions and so forth. He possesses ultimate supreme authority. 
we flip the pages to the New Testament, what do we see? Well, we see another one who seems to possess a whole lot of authority. We're told he teaches like one with authority. We're told he forgives sins like one with authority. We see him heal like one with authority. We see him drive out demons like one with authority. We see him calm the storm like one with authority. Right? We see one with a whole lot of authority. It's the Lord Jesus Christ as he goes through his ministry. Nothing, nothing proves to be more powerful than he. And of course, just in case there was any doubt... He dies, and then on the third day, he rises from the dead in order that he might proclaim that he has also authority over death. I hold the keys to death in Hades, he goes on to say. Nothing is more powerful than the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is, friends, the sovereign God of Daniel who possesses authority over kings and nations and fiery furnaces and lions, he becomes incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a remarkable thing when you see that in the New Testament. This God who reveals himself in ways, remarkable ways in the Old Testament. All of a sudden, here he is. Here he is as a person. Here he is in the flesh. Here he is before our very eyes. Finally, a contemporary application book of Daniel challenges us, challenges us to be faithful to God above all else. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. This is what Daniel did. They remained faithful to God above all else. They acknowledged his authority over and above any other competing authority. They remained faithful to God despite the pressures of governments. They remained faithful to God despite the threat of to their lives. They remain faithful to God in the face of temptation to conform. The book of Daniel challenges the people of God to be faithful to God above all else. And friends, just like in Daniel's day, there are many today, aren't there, who try and exercise authority over us. There are many who try and get us to compromise. Culture wants us to compromise the gospel. They scoff at us for talking about hell or about substitutionary atonement, or anything like that, because no, that's not cool. God loves everybody. Don't be so puritanical. Or they want us to compromise on matters of of sex and marriage. Our young people, young people who, who decide to save themselves from marriage, they're laughed at on the college campus. The world holds us in contempt for believing that marriage is between a man and a woman, you bigot. How could you deny somebody what their heart wants? Friends, friends want us to compromise our morals often, don't they, by, by maybe tempting us to talk in a certain way, maybe by encouraging us to, to abuse alcohol or drink too much. A boss might want us to fudge some numbers to hide some money. Our own hearts even tempt us to compromise. Every day, aren't we, we're, we're tempted to compromise. Every day we're asked to turn our back on the Lord and on His Word. We're, we're asked to deny His sovereign authority. But the book of Daniel challenges us to be faithful to God above all else. 
It challenges us to be faithful to God no matter what. And of course, the reason is because when it's all said and done, it's to Him alone that any one of us will answer. It's to Him alone that any one of us will give an account. We won't stand before our government. We won't stand before our culture. We won't stand before our friends. We won't stand before our boss. We won't stand before our own hearts. We'll stand before God. We'll answer to God. Because all authority, glory, and sovereign power belong to Him. Let's pray together. Lord God, there are many things in our world which compete for the authority that you alone possess. Many things in our world which try and tell us how we should think, how we should live. Enable us, Lord, to see these things for what they are. They're merely posers. You alone possess authority. You alone have the right to tell us how to live. And Lord, when there's a conflict, when the authorities of this world butt up against your authority, give us grace, give us strength, give us courage, give us wisdom to acknowledge you as the rightful king. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to sing number 436 in closing. This is my father's world, 436. Do I have that in the hymnal or the blue book? Psalter hymnal, 436. We will sing. Is there three verses, Karen? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll sing all three. Why don't you stand and I'll give you the blessing and then we'll sing. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen.